Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. This is the Soho Radio Podcast, showcasing some of the best broadcasts from our online radio station, right from the heart of Soho, London. Across our music and culture channels, we have a wide range of shows covering every genre, along with chat shows, discussions and special broadcasts. Here is just one of our recent shows. To catch the full show, head to our Mixcloud page or listen live at SohoRadioLondon.com. You are listening to Tamar Colocuta on Soho Radio with you for the next couple of hours. Um, Coming up, I have an interview for the first time in quite a while, I think. I will be talking to Josephine Davies about her new album, How Can We Wake?, um, and her influences um, as a saxophonist and a composer. So do stay tuned in for that. Um, But coming up before then, uh, there's a fair bit of new music, partly because it's been Bandcamp Friday and I've been shopping. Um, Kicking off here with a track called Supertonic by End to the Power. Enjoy. My guest on today's show is Josephine Davies. Hi, Josephine. Hello, Tamar. We're in the same room. We are. It's quite wonderful. Yeah, it feels like ages since I've done an interview in the same room as someone. It's great. The last oh, couple have been actually. over Zoom. Yes, I've done a few in the last couple of days on the phone, which is yeah. quite old school, but quite nice because yeah. I like being in the same room as someone yeah. and making eye contact, but yeah. I don't particularly like being on Zoom and it's, not making eye contact. It's quite weird, isn't it? Like, mm. do you look at the camera or do mm. you look at the person? It's, yeah, it's all a bit strange. Mm. So nice to be in the same place as you. Absolutely. Um, so we are here today because your trio, Satori, am I saying it right? You are. Good. Um, have a new album coming out in just a few days. What's yes. the release date? The 9th, next Friday. And that's on? Whirlwind Recordings. Excellent. Uh, so what is this album called? This album is called How Can We Wake? which is the first line of a poem that my mother wrote uh, for the album. I asked her oh. to write something for the liner notes. And this uh, is a beautiful poem. And the first line is, how can we wake? And I immediately said, can I use that, please, Mum? <laughs> Thanks, Mum. Yeah. Do you have the poem with you? I can find it. <laughs> OK. We'll come back to that Thank shortly. Um, so it is an album that is quite heavily based on the writings of an Indian philosopher teacher, Patanjali, Mm. um, who is probably best known in the West for um, writing about the Yoga Sutras. Mm. Uh, Can you tell us a little bit more about how you discovered his writing and how it's informed this, this album in particular? Yes. So this is a book that I came across by an American author called Stephen Cope, who's also a psychotherapist. And I can't actually remember who recommended it to me. Um, it was something, it was one of those ones that 
you know, you buy and then it stays on the bedside table for a few months mm-hmm. and then you think, oh, this is, this is the day to open <laughs> this new book. And I immediately completely fell in love with it. So it was at a time when I'd finished training as a psychotherapist. I was getting really back into music. I was thinking about putting the trio together. Um, so this was probably four years ago or so. So okay. it's been a while since the inspiration has manifested mm-hmm. itself yeah. musically, which I think is quite common for a lot of musicians and artists. It's, it's difficult to say, oh, I've read this and now I'm going to write about yeah. it. I think yeah. it filters through quite slowly. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so Stephen Cope has managed to take these quite obscure ancient texts, mm-hmm. which are attributed to Patanjali, um, and make them accessible okay. to, well, to Westerners, but, yeah. but to uh, English reading people. Excellent. Mm. Um, and you've picked, um, let me see, I did write this, I did some research, I did write this down, mm-hmm. I think, somewhere. No, I only wrote down the, the names of the tracks that we're going to play today. So how many, um, how many tracks are on the album and how do they relate to the teachings? Um, there are, do you know, I don't even know how many <laughs> tracks there are. So we did it as, uh, we did it as a suite and I think the suite is six pieces and then we put these uh segues basically but I've called them sutras because they're they're like threads between the pieces where each of us individually get to um extemporize and then introduce the next piece Mm -hmm. but basically these six pieces are based on states of being Mm -hmm. uh, especially ones that I find myself in quite a lot so some of them are quite positive. Like yeah. the, the first one is called Ananda Bliss. Yeah. Uh, and this was a quite spontaneous kind of, oh, I've just woken up one day and experienced this lovely sense of well-being and relaxation. And, mm-hmm. and this was this melody that, that sort that of That definitely wasn't during lockdown, was it? <laughs> <laughs> no, this is last year. You remember 2019? Oh. <laughs> but actually... Um, and then some of the other pieces, like the second one that you're going, you're going to play at the end mm-hmm. of the show, um, called Dukkha, which is pervasive dissatisfaction. Mm-hmm. And I think there is, obviously there's this, um, it's much more of a holistic, all-encompassing sense of we as humans struggle so much and so much of the time it's an unnecessary struggle. Mm-hmm. And this, this is this kind of yogic teaching that... that asks us to become aware of where we've gone in our minds and all the scrabbling around that we do and okay. consequently feel so um, tense all of the time and we're always trying to be out of whatever the present situation is, either yeah. leaning forward into a desperate need to be somewhere else or desperate to keep the moment. Oh, this is such a beautiful sunset. I want it to stay and it's gone. Yes. Yeah. And yeah. Um, so that's very much a, a state of being that I think we can all relate to. Yeah. And then it's particularly prevalent during this, this year, this time when everybody is asked to do something different and, and get out of their comfort zone and, yeah. and really look around them and say wow, this is different, this yeah. is new, I have to adjust because I can't live in the way that I was living. Yeah, it's it's actually literally impossible. Mm. Everyone has to find a new way of being mm. somehow yeah. through this. So we're going to listen to the opening track now, Ananda Bliss. <laughs> Thank you. 
I believe, uh, whilst that was playing, you have managed to find the poem I have. that the title is taken from. Yes. Um, can you read it for I us? I can. Um, so the poem is actually called, my mum's title is Samadhana, which means composure, which is not one of the titles or the words that I used, but I like that she did that kind of mm-hmm. um, research into it. <laughs> okay, so this is by Gwendolyn Coates. How can we wake? How can we wake from the slumber of disillusionment, from the lumber of dissatisfaction? Oh, the sweetness of your hand upon my shoulder lightens me, enlightens me. It is an understanding in that one and single moment, the composition of that perfect form. Here we can live in passion and compassion. Thus we are free. That's great. Hmm. When did she write that? Uh, ooh, well, it says 15th of January 2020. It feels, wow, I, because it wouldn't have surprised me at all if that had been written during lockdown. Um, it seems mm. very prescient of what we were all going to be feeling to yes. various degrees. Isn't it funny? Um, because we, we recorded the album, we had a live gig on the... Um, I can't even remember the date. A live gig, a live gig. It was the 20th of January. That Mm -hmm. was the Oxford Tavern in North London. Um, And so, yes, I'd uh, obviously uh, invited some family and my mum was coming. And I said, would you like to write a poem about what we're going to play? And, you know, I gave her the, the set list and how I was going to record it and everything. And she wrote that within about a couple of hours, I think. Oh, wow. Great. Yeah. Well done, Mum. Yeah. <laughs> Brilliant. Well, actually, that brings me to something else that I, did, I wanted to talk to you about today, which was um, throughout... Because uh, we've known each other for donkey's years. We certainly have. Um, we won't say how long, because that gives away too much. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I something that I've always enjoyed about your writing over the years is... Um, a really tangible uh, influence of philosophy and literature and art in your subject matter, in the inspirations. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously this this poem kind of ties into that nicely. Mm-hmm. Was it a, Has it been a conscious choice on your part to bring those themes in, or is it just part of what generally inspires you as a, per- as a person, as an artist, and sometimes the themes come through more explicitly than others? I think it's both. Um when people say where do you get your inspiration it took me ages to formulate this in words but I think I get so much from the way that I feel Mm -hmm. and so much of that comes from reading literature and philosophy and uh, my yeah learning and general kind of what I become really passionate about Mm -hmm. and and, um, excited about other than music and other than things that I listen to. Um, So there's certainly that aspect, which is just a kind of inevitable aspect of if you immerse yourself in anything, then it might come through in all of these other areas of of your life. But then there are definitely have been times also of wanting to show that influence in a a tangible sense. And it was funny when you said... um, you were talking about the, the quintet album that I'd done, uh, Perspective, which was, I'd completely forgotten about this, 
about this tune called Magister Ludi, which was based on um, uh, uh, the main character in the Glass Bead Game yeah. by Herman Hesse. Yeah. And that's a book. So all through college, all those many years ago, yeah. I remember... I remember discovering this book and then I think I read it probably every year for about six oh, wow. years. I loved it. I and it's not it so it's much. not a small book. No, I know. <laughs> yeah, I just completely immersed myself in that book and I'd forgotten. Yeah. So it was really nice yeah. to be reminded of that period and how important that book was to me for many different reasons. Mm-hmm. And then to think, oh yeah, well actually I, I did, I manifested that in yeah. writing this tune. Yeah. Um about about that book, about that character. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad I could remind you Thank of you. that. Yeah. Um, but actually that, um, talking about um, how, what you're living and what else you're doing in life uh, feeds back into the music and brings us back around to something that you touched on briefly um, before we listened to the first tune, which was your retraining as a psychotherapist. Mm. How, when, why, what? <laughs> tell us all about it uh, it's you know it's easier to talk about the reasons for doing it in hindsight Mm -hmm. which are quite different from what I thought at the time yeah so this was uh 2010 and I literally just woke up one morning thinking oh wow yeah I'd love to train to be a psychotherapist yeah my experience of psychotherapy had been I had a couple of years of therapy myself when I was in my probably Mm mid-twenties and it was a complete life changer right and I suppose I'd then not really thought about it very much for for a number of years and then had this kind of epiphany that that's something that I really wanted to do and at the time it it definitely wasn't something I wanted to do instead of music Mm -hmm. so I wanted to keep the two going in tandem right and the more I got in and then I looked into courses and things like that yeah. and got really interested in existential psychotherapy because okay. it's got a very big, as you can imagine, philosophical uh, influence. Yeah. And then, you know, I sort of went down the rabbit hole a little bit and started reading <laughs> all about Kierkegaard and Sartre and um, Simone de Beauvoir and Camus and uh, just loving it. Yeah. And thinking, oh, I'm yeah. so excited about this, this particular style of philosophy. Yeah. And the more I got into that, the, I suppose it became quite time consuming so I was playing music less and less and I suppose for that reason enjoying it less and less and then I finished my training and and did a couple of years of working as a therapist and then sort of realised that I was more interested in writing and more interested in the philosophy itself and therefore perhaps teaching could be something or lecturing that I can do a little bit of um, rather than seeing clients so then I stopped seeing clients and at that point the trio was starting to yeah. be, be more busy and yeah. I was starting to make a bit more of a name for myself. So yeah. I was busier with that. Um, so then I kind of realised, oh, maybe the original reason for training was, yes, it was a deep interest in psychotherapy and the mind and the person and mm-hmm. all of that kind of interesting stuff. But also perhaps it was that I just couldn't find my way as a musician. Mm-hmm. I felt really stuck and that I couldn't somehow be authentic. Yeah. And uh, felt quite locked up in myself as yeah. well. So actually, yeah. I think the training, all £40,000 of it <laughs> and all of that work and my God, the dissertation. Uh, I think all of it, the, 
the best thing that came out of it was really my self-development mm -hmm. uh, so that I could get to the end of that and then really throw myself back into music. Well, I was, I was going to ask, did that sort of time away, not, not completely outside of music, but really having to pour your energy significantly into something else, change how you approached music or how you felt music or what you, what you got back from it when you came back to playing? Yeah, absolutely. I think, again, that was some, something really fundamental, that change that mm -hmm. I went through. And then when I got back into playing music, firstly, there was this idea of, oh, I, I think I want a trio and I think I want to get a bit freer in what yeah. I'm doing. And yeah. I think I don't really feel the need to prove myself on rhythm changes in A flat because I can't, I can't do that. Um, why not leave that to people who really enjoy that yeah. that way of yeah. being and that yeah. way of playing yeah. and why not just, I don't know, get into some kind of different soundscape yeah. and find different musicians to play with and since then it's been this journey of, ah oh, yes, this is, this is yeah. authentic, this is what I want to do, this is what I love and I found joy in playing which I don't think I'd ever really experienced right. I knew that I could, I could be capable of experiencing joy in music but yeah. I've just been so kind of tense and oh god I'm so rubbish and I can't do this and I can't do that rather than oh what do I feel yes oh, yeah I think I would like to play it like this yeah and so how did you settle on the trio lineup because I know in the past you've written for a quintet mm -hmm. um, kind of classic sax trumpet rhythm section um, yeah. and you also write for big band yeah. Um, what led you to the trio as your kind of like, I suppose, your um, preeminent mode of expression? Nice. nice <laughs> at the moment. Um, well, it was mainly wanting to do a small group, uh, mainly about me. The, <laughs> Why not? Why the, not? As the horn player. Um, and also, I made that decision to not have a, a typically harmonic instrument mm -hmm. like a piano or um a guitar so that there could just be all of this space yeah uh and i really like i, I really like the number three yes and i've actually developed two other trios since getting this trio <laughs> together um because i don't know why it, it just seems to work very well for interaction yeah and that is what i yeah, that's what I became interested in. So more and more, and especially with this album, it's got away from the idea um, that, you know, that ja a lot of jazz has of there's a tune and then somebody takes a solo and then yeah. somebody else takes a solo yeah. and then there's a yeah. tune again, which yeah. is a very basic way of putting it. But I, I really uh, felt that I wanted to get a little more away from that. And yes. actually, the first two albums, you know, we didn't really get away from that mm. so much. Mm -hmm. It's definitely... Uh, been a work in progress that's yeah. I think come to fruition with this latest album where it's really uh, it's really a matter of playing together and the and seeing what happens yeah and I think yeah. that the, the tunes are very much the jumping off this. point yeah for, for that kind of thing so would you yeah. say that the actual sort of composed element when it comes to this album is is relatively small yes yeah, definitely much smaller than it ever has been yeah. before, um, which is it's really enjoyable actually yeah. to to write yeah. like that and then to know that the uh, that that James and Dave will interpret the music really according to their own sounds. Yeah, and that's why 
that's why they are in the trio because yes. I yeah. love their sounds and yeah. I love what they do with my ideas and yeah. we it's lovely doing it like that and workshopping things which is not something that can necessarily work in a larger ensemble like a big band because yeah. I I might write much more and then record it and then change bits but I might right. not get so much um so much feedback perhaps from yeah. a compositional perspective yeah. from the band but I think also in the in the context of something like a big band um the players unless they're explicitly told to don't necessarily expect to give feedback mm. in the way that you you kind of would naturally feel that there needs to be in a smaller ensemble like a trio or a quartet maybe mm. you can't make the trio work without there being interaction without there being feedback whereas if you're presented with a a complex big band chart you're main job is to mm. play what you're told to play. <laughs> <laughs> ah, dictatorial. Yeah. Well, it's absolutely. more it's more akin to to you know, orchestral composition. Mm. The composers put a lot of thought into the colors and the textures that they want to use and of course there is space for improvisation in that as well, but it's quite it's a very different thing to a, a harmonyless trio mm. interacting. Yeah. And so I asked you to bring some inspiration tracks. Mm. Um, and actually, the harmonyless trio format mm -hmm. is um, one of the first tracks. Tell us about this one. Yes. So this is from Ground Rush by Julian Arguelles, which is a trio with him um, and Michael Formanek on bass and Tom Rainey on drums. And I've, be, I've absolutely loved this album for. Mm -hmm quite a few years and I think it I don't actually remember the decision making process where I thought right I'm going to get a trio together yeah. instead I think I'd just been playing with various people and thought oh I am not missing the piano here. <laughs> but I, no offense to the piano players no offense to piano players I love playing with <laughs> piano players um but the, this was definitely a, an album that I had been listening to a lot prior to getting my own trio together. And yeah. I think it's it's really interesting because it made me think about how much you can do with a trio. So some of Julian Arguelles' tunes, including the one that we're going to listen to, is yeah. quite involved, yeah. rhythmically and harmonically. And I was interested in the fact that you can still do that. Yeah. You don't have to take away all of the compositional elements yeah. without a harmony instrument, despite only having well a couple of lines that are happening at the same time yeah um but yeah i th i think this tune is it's just a great tune it's a great track um i love all all three of those musicians uh, julian arguelles has been one of my main inspirations as a saxophonist yeah. as well yeah as a composer and a teacher um so yes it's just amazing great well let's listen to this track uh Bullerius by the julian arguelles trio
any other um, trio lineups that you have found have particularly specifically inspired you or have kind of generally permeated into your development of that, that trio sound? Uh, yes, there are lots. Uh, some are old and some are new. So, <laughs> for it, do you know what? It's funny because people often say, oh, that's an unusual lineup. Mm. And I think, God, well, actually, it's, it's been not. done a lot, yeah. including Sonny Rollins' Way Out West, which is like a seminal jazz yeah. album yeah. that most people know and love. So that's definitely been a huge influence. That's an amazing album. It's just so joyous and relaxed and swinging and exciting. And yeah. uh, it's my, it, I think it's my favourite bit of Sonny Rollins. And then the Ornette Coleman... Well, he had various groups, some of which were trios and then some of which had um, a trumpet player yeah. as well. Um, but I think he was really experimenting. So that in both the lineup, but also his way of formulating sound and music and development yeah. Yeah. and experimentation, that's been a real influence as well. Mm-hmm. I suppose, again, that, that sense of authenticity and kind of abandonment. Yes. Let's yes. try something yeah. new and let's... Yeah. Let's not not worry something. about whether it's right or wrong or correct yeah. or where it's going to end. Just mm. start and see. Mm. Yeah. yeah, it's very much a a sense of him and that personality and the personalities that he was surrounded by as well. Yeah. So that was a big influence. And then more recently, oh, and of course, Joe Henderson, co- uh, State yes. of the Ten. Can't leave that one out. <laughs> oh, that, that's one of my favourite <laughs> albums of all time. And probably the only one of the few albums from the 1980s that I listen to constantly. Yeah. So that's, a, that's a quite a strange time, especially for yeah. double bass sounds. Yes, yes. <laughs> anyway, let's not get too into that. Um, and a more recent album by Rich Perry called Doxy, which obviously is influenced by Sonny Rollins because mm-hmm. he wrote a tune called Doxy. Mm-hmm. And in there is also a John Coltrane tune called Your Lady or My Lady, possibly Our Lady, one of the three. <laughs> anyway, um, so there's, there's the, the, you know, the tradition and the history is yeah. in there. But yeah. it, that is a really interactive uh very much about Rich Perry's sound. It's it's quite haunting and beautiful at times. And yeah. that is something that I really love as well. And then there are all sorts of trios or quartets with two saxophones yeah. and bass and drums. Yeah. Like Chris Lightcap's quartet, which I really love. Um so there's lots of influences, I think. I, yeah. I, I keep going back to that sound. Yeah. There's lots of space and um a lot of well, perhaps not a lot of statement of harmony at times as well but interestingly within that the um the saxophone as a lead instrument is a very harmonic rich Mm. sound Mm. so you actually in terms of frequency and tone you can fill quite a lot of space with a saxophone Mm. um and you can also i think something that you do sometimes is actually play with splitting the notes into harmonics themselves Mm on the saxophone as part of your improvisational toolkit. Yes. Yeah, I think I got more into that recently. But yeah, I definitely, I think there is this sense of, there's quite a lot of distance between the double bass mm-hmm. and the saxophone. And If you're in tenor, you, not if you're in baritone. <laughs> no, not if you're in baritone. <laughs> but also, it's something that Dave and I have worked on quite a lot together, because especially if I'm on soprano, yes, which is notoriously that's... difficult for yes. intonation. It's a, it's a little, it's an interesting beast. It is an interesting beast. <laughs> I love it, but I, well, sometimes I love it. Yeah. Sometimes I do not love it so much. 
Um, but we've worked on that quite a lot because yeah. there's so much distance yeah. between us, yeah. especially if he's on an open string yeah. and I'm at the top end of the soprano. Yeah. Sometimes it's uh, it's quite difficult to to tell whether we are really locking in or, yeah. or resonating together or if we're not, who is out and which way they're out. Yes. Sometimes you think, oh, I have no idea. Yeah, I'm out of tune in both directions yeah. at the same time. How is that possible? <laughs> yeah, it's definitely that. <laughs> but then and we've also talked to, talked to James about this because um, there's a really interesting element of being a drummer where some drummers really think about the tuning mm-hmm. of their drums and how that is impacting the overall sound of the group yeah. and, and what key we're playing in. Yeah. Well, that, it's, it's interesting you say that because actually just as you were about to mention, James, um, I remembered, I think it was Bex Birch, we were talking about how she wrote for um, for Vula Viel and mm. she was commenting on uh, drum kit being a tonal instrument, mm. which is something that I think as a non-drummer you can I can forget about a lot mm. and I, then I on something I was doing recently I watched the drummer tuning the mm. snare and mm. it's really involved yeah. and really specific and you know if you detune one segment a tiny bit it completely changes the impact mm. of the drums so yeah. yeah of course where that's tuned to matters in that especially in the trio context yes it's because it's all about sound isn't yeah. it and each in each musician is developing their own sound so of course that would be something that impacts on the over, the overall yeah. sound the, the yeah. individuals to yeah. playing together yeah what were we talking about <laughs> <laughs> i can't remember so let's move on <laughs> well so so far we've talked about a lot of your influences being other saxophonists or saxophone mm. lineups but saxophonists don't only listen to saxophonists certainly not um and your next uh, inspiration track that you've chose chosen is by a trumpeter i mm-hmm. believe yeah. um ambrose akinmissary this is someone i actually hadn't heard of mm-hmm. previously can you tell me a little bit more about this artist I can, and actually I'm cheating a little bit because you'd asked for some tracks that influenced this latest album and actually this is an album that came out after we recorded. Oh, I know. Oh. Well, I... no, it's all right. You're, you're allowed to have general influences. It's okay. Excellent. Artistic <laughs> licence. Um, because there's something about this album that I've been quite moved by, especially in this time. Yeah. So uh, Ambrose Akin Museri. I think it is how it's pronounced, like in musery. Um, we apologise if we're mispronouncing your name. Yes, we do. We uh, th- So he, this album that he wrote is all about his... Uh, he returned to... Oh, where is he from? Oakland, California, mm-hmm. quite recently, and was quite heartbroken, I think, by the gentrification and the way that it's become much less of a cultural community. Yeah. Because uh, Silicon Valley is basically just expanding, so mm-hmm. so this community that he he grew up in is becoming um, just a, a suburb, a yeah. suburb of a business center, and that really speaks to me. That sense of where we are going as a technological society yeah. and what we are losing, yeah. and I think it's something that, especially now. When we when we think yes, so much of our lives is now online, but what are we sacrificing because of that? And I really feel strongly that we need to talk about that. And yeah. obviously, at the moment, we're trying to um, curb a pandemic, so yeah. 
there is that. But but I think in, in the very course of that and the fact that so many of us have been forced to stay at home and be much more solely in contact via techno technological means, mm. I think we're re, um, rediscovering the value of actual human contact. Yeah. Whether it's a conversation face-to-face -face with someone in the same room, whether it's an actual hug or whatever. Mm. But mm. Um, I think it's, it is it is reminding us that actually the amount of time we spend on our gadgets is perhaps unhealthy. Yeah, absolutely. And there's something about this album that very much speaks to us as humans and that sense of community. Mm -hmm. yeah. So what what he's think what he's um, discovering that it's not a good discovery. The changes that mean uh, less humanity. Yeah. Less contact between people. Yeah. Less things like talking to the person who runs the grocery yes. store yeah. rather yeah. than going in anon anonymously to a large supermarket. Yeah. And in fact, I haven't been in the supermarket for, well, weeks, which is great because yeah. and now I live in a place where... Which has grocery stores. Has you grocery can actually stores. go into a grocery store and speak to your local grocer. And I do. And it's, <laughs> it's wonderful. Um, and I, yeah, I went in to buy something or other and everything was plastic and it was cold and you couldn't smell anything and yeah. there was music on and it was this sort of non-experience. It's yeah. almost like you go in... And it's don't feel anything. Yeah. But just buy stuff. Buy yeah. stuff, but don't yeah. feel. Yeah. And it was horrible. Be a good, obedient drone. <laughs> Spend money. <laughs> leave. Yeah. yeah. Yes. So anyway, the, I think this uh, this album, this new album, uh, it's a beautiful title, actually. It's called On the Tender Spot of Every Calloused Moment. Wow. And this track that I've chosen is called Roy and I don't I was trying to find out why it's called Roy and mm. who Roy might be mm. I don't know um I imagine that perhaps Roy was somebody from the community of yeah. Oakland California yeah um but we'll have to ask Ambrose uh, but this this track I think it just it's so uh, it's it's just so musical it's a beautiful piece of music it's very short but yeah. incredibly haunting So we've known each other for quite some time. We have, um, and we met back at Guildhall, mm -hmm. back in the day, back at Junior Guildhall. <laughs> in fact, back in the day. But the reason I bring this up is because uh, your next inspiration track features a saxophonist who I think was on the postgrad course while we were doing our degrees, mm. um, Ingrid Lalbrook. Yes. So tell us a little bit more about this track. Uh, well, Ingrid is somebody that I've always thought. Um, was a, just an incredible saxophonist. Yeah, yeah. And thinking, going back to this idea of authenticity, she's always struck me as somebody who is deeply authentic because she, you know, she can really do so much mm -hmm. on the instrument, but often plays in this really understated way. Yeah. Um, she's not afraid to sound kind of odd or, or yeah. you know, try, try <laughs> things out, that experimental sense 
um, and play completely free and, t and take so much time yeah. over developing an idea. Yeah. Um, so I've been listening to her probably quite a lot over the, especially the last three years or so. And I think that's, in, that's been an influence on um, how, to, how to develop a mm -hmm. piece of music without worrying about what, what people think about it. Yeah. They, you know, those questions, <laughs> are they bored? Or oh, that person in the audience looks like he wants to kill me. Um, <laughs> and just, just being in something and being yeah. present, which again goes back to these, these yogic wisdom um, ideas of, of really inhabiting yeah. the space and the moment. And Ingrid's playing has always spoken to me in that regard. Mm -hmm. So this track that I'm going to play is from Paradoxical Frog. And one of the reasons I love it is because I think she is able to do this kind of, you know, free jazz thing or yeah. extended improvisational thing yeah. with a piano player. And the right. piano player on this is Chris Davis, um, who I hadn't come across until I heard this album. Mm -hmm. But she's an amazing pianist as right. well. And she's got loads of her own projects. So it's sort of taken me into lots of different areas and makes me start thinking, oh, maybe I want to do something <laughs> after saying, oh, I love the trio format. But perhaps um, yeah. playing with, well, I, another trio that I have is with Alcione Mick, who's yeah. a wonderful piano player. And again, can go into any area. So back to this, this track, it's, for me, the influence is that there's so many different things within it. So there can be this great rhythmic driving groove thing mm -hmm. and then it completely bonkers sort of interplay yeah. between the musicians and and then something, you know, quite moving in there as well. So yeah. it's everything within yeah. the space of, what, five minutes and something. Yeah. Um, and that's something that I really love and that I want to develop in my own um musicality however that manifests itself but but to but to not be stuck and say oh this is a ballad or this is yes. a swing tune yeah. or this is a why can't they all be in the same piece yeah exactly <laughs> okay so let's have a listen to ghost machine <laughs> to that you mentioned that you have some other trio projects in development um, mm. aside from Satori one of which uh, involves the wonderful Alcione Mick and me mm -hmm. <laughs> I think I'm allowed to say that you are allowed to say um, that. which we had rehearsal for the other day which was fab um, mm. obviously you on saxophone bass clarinet for me and piano for Alcione mm -hmm. um, and this I believe is a commission for Jazz South so um, tell us a little bit more about the whys and the wherefores of that. Ah, well, actually, this came about through you. <laughs> <laughs> Wasn't fishing for that. Um, yeah, actually came about through my brother. Ah. So thanks, Brother Osborne, for finding the link and passing it on. Ah, brilliant. Yeah. So I looked into this when you forwarded me the email and 
discovered that I was eligible to apply for this. Uh, it was basically a grant that Jazz South were giving out. Um, I think they had some money that would have gone towards touring musicians, mm -hmm. but obviously that all stopped yeah. in March. So they had money to give to 10 composers from the southeast of England mm -hmm. to write a new work for a trio lineup, mm -hmm. which is brilliant. Perfect. Thought, oh, yeah. well, that's my favourite <laughs> thing to do. Um, so, yes, you have to write a 15-minute new work for whatever combination of instruments mm -hmm. you want, and this will be recorded and um, produced in, hopefully, November. Fingers so, crossed. Yeah, fingers, yes. crossed. Yes. fingers crossed we're allowed to be in the same room. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that it's been really amazing. I'm so, so honoured to be part of this scheme, and it's it's just sorted my whole September out. So they gave me some... some um, composition money basically amazing they paid me a, amazing a, a month's salary to write this piece of music and it was interesting because I when I applied I said it's going to be basically about the experience of lockdown and post lockdown in Hastings in St Leonard's mm -hmm. on the south coast so in April uh, no March god it was March wasn't it yeah middle of March and all of a sudden nothing on in London yeah and me and Ben my boyfriend thought well let's just get out of London so yeah. my mum very graciously um let us stay in her flat in the old town Fantastic. of Hastings yeah for two weeks I think we were there for two months and it was really amazing so this was the whole of spring basically yeah. and you can see the sea from her window so every morning I'd wake up and I'd get on the piano and start writing something. And mm -hmm. I think that was really influenced by the changing light on yeah. the sea. And yeah. every day was completely different. Yeah. And there'd be seagulls whirling all the time. And um, the wind kind of whistling in through the windows. Probably, <laughs> oh my God, it was cold. I mean, the wind down here is pretty strong. It's exciting. It's, whistling it? is a very kind way of putting it. Yes. <laughs> well, I think this really led to this um, this piece of music because... It's, basically in three parts mm -hmm. but there are d different bits of it which are quite dramatic and that I think reflects the time which was both emotionally quite volatile probably it mm -hmm. was for everybody <clears throat> incredibly creative as everything stopped and I was back by the sea for the first time in 20 years probably yeah um and also it, it is dramatic it's dramatic yeah. landscape here yeah. and um, there were lots of storms and lots of incredibly windy days and lots of beautiful, bright, sunny days, but yeah. very cold. Yeah. Uh, so lots, lots of different things. And I think that all um, filtered into writing this piece of music, which I'd stated mm -hmm. was going to be my commission, basically. Yeah. So it's going to yeah. be a trio. And I knew that I wanted to play on it myself. And I also knew that I wanted to do something with you on bass clarinet. And then I was thinking, well, what would go well with yeah. those two, two instruments? And I've worked a lot with Alciona in the past and thought that would it would work well. And we had our first rehearsal the other day and it was amazing. It, it was, was exactly, brilliant. Yeah. It was exactly yeah. what I wanted it to be. So I'm really excited to be recording that, hopefully in November. And actually, um, it also ties in with what we were talking about earlier, about the influence of literature mm. on your writing as well, because there was a particular book you told mm. us about that actually got intertwined with the influences for this as well. It really did. It was very odd. So my friend recommended H is for Hawk by Helen MacDonald, mm -hmm. which I started reading um, whilst I was staying in the old town and then have, have finished it quite recently. 
but it really is it's uh, Helen Helen MacDonald has it's a memoir basically mm -hmm. so she's training a hawk at the time when she is grieving for her recently deceased father mm -hmm. and this book just matched my experience of being down here so closely yeah. as I went through all of these quite different different and profound emotional experiences. Yeah. So there are bits in it which very much stem from reading that book and reading that book whilst living by the sea. Um, and the first the first bit or the first bar is this this kind of high um, quite alien piano melody yeah. and that yeah. come, came directly from reading this description where she first experiences the hawk um, and that's what came out of it so this whole piece is very much about oh and the other thing is in that book she references quite heavily um, another author who trained a hawk and wrote yeah. a book about it yeah. in, uh, centuries ago yeah. but he was from St Leonard's perfect so it all ties in together brilliantly it does excellent um, so people will be able to hear this new piece at mm -hmm. some point in the future if we get to record it in November, if COVID lets us. Yes. <laughs> Fingers crossed. <laughs> Fingers crossed. So we've got one last inspiration track from you. Mm -hmm. um, this is by the Tomika Reed Quartet and is called Billy Bang's Bounce. Mm. What made you choose this one? Well, I've got more and more into this quartet and into Tamika Reed. So if you haven't heard her before, she is an American cellist and um, really sort of transcends genre mm -hmm. um, specifics. So I've got more and more into hearing strings yeah. together. Yeah. So there's no saxophone in this quartet, double bass, <laughs> guitar. And uh, oh, that was another thing. I love Mary Halverson. I've seen her live a couple of times um, last year and she's in this band as well and then um so double bass guitar cello and drums yeah so it's almost like it's a string band right with some drums yeah rather than a standard jazz quartet yeah um and then the music also is is just again that sort of buoyant we could go anywhere with this it starts as a swing piece this this tune that we're going to hear um but goes totally free and then somehow they get back to the melody at the end. Great. And I think, yeah, yeah. great. Why yeah. not? Yeah. Why not do it like that? And yeah. I think that's, again, quite an inspiration to hear how people mix mix and match different styles of music or different feels within one piece. Yeah. And just rely on each other. Uh, sorry, rely on one's own ears and capability for listening and, and trust each other to, yeah. to make that happen. Yeah. So this is Billy Bang's Bounce. And so we come full circle uh, back to your new album, How Can We Wake, mm -hmm. um, by yourself and your trio, Satori. Um, so we are going to listen to two tracks next to each other because really you recorded the whole thing as a suite. Mm. Um, how much of uh, the suite did you know in advance were separate tunes and how much did you just play the gig and decide afterwards 
which sections were which? Um, it was it was quite mapped out, okay. actually, um, because they definitely work musically um, in this order. Mm-hmm. And I think musically and well, whatever else, spiritually. <laughs> <laughs> um, but we didn't... There was one tune that we recorded... Uh, what was that one called? I can't remember. Oh, Equanimity. Mm-hmm. And... It just, it didn't fit for some reason. And I still don't know quite why. But in the end, I thought, well, the album's already... Um, long enough. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> uh, so long enough for vinyl. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, too long for vinyl, actually. There's a track missing off the vinyl. Um, but what we didn't decide in advance was at the end of the gig to play the first tune again. Ah. And that was a really nice, spontaneous moment. Um and I don't, I don't know why we did it, but it worked so well that I put that one on the album yeah, as well. Yeah. So tell us um, the track titles and mm. um, what the kind of progression of the order means in terms of your response to um, Patanjali's teachings. Yeah. Um, so the first tune is called Ananda Bliss. And I think it's, it's a nice starting point. I didn't want to go in with some something too much around the negative states of <laughs> affliction and dissatisfaction. Uh, so it, as, a, as a beginning to an album and the beginning to the gig, yeah. it's a really, it felt like the right place to begin. Mm-hmm. Um, and that goes into the first sutra or thread, which is James and his solo out of that tune and into Dukkar, which is much more um, tense because it's, this is pervasive dissatisfaction. Yeah. And I got these, the English translations of the Sanskrit all come from this book that I was talking about by okay. Stephen Cope. Yeah. The, the wisdom of yoga mm-hmm. uh, and I really love how he's translated these things and obviously I'm I'm condensing yes because I can't put a whole paragraph as a tune <laughs> title that would be... I mean you could but it would get condensed for you when people talked about it anyway exactly <laughs> so that's the uh, officially track three on the album is Dukkar pervasive dissatisfaction and then we get um, Dave's Sutra, Sutra mm-hmm. 2, which is his uh, very beautiful intro to um, the tune Neroda, which I've translated here as... I, I haven't translated... I've used <laughs> Stephen Cope's... I'm not uh, fluent in Sanskrit. See, Stephen Cope's translation, which is the possibility of liberation, which I love That's great. that idea. Yeah. Um, and it's about the experience of 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 that receiving that wisdom for the first time of mm-hmm. there is a I, I can be aware of how I am impacting myself and keeping myself in these negative states yeah and there is a possibility of liberation from that negativity with um practice yeah and that's what this is all about it's it's not um you know, people people ask me all the time, oh, do you, do you meditate every day? And I say, no, God, no, I'm terribly <laughs> undisciplined. I'm not a Buddhist. I'm not, a, you know, I don't sit every morning. I just try and engage with acknowledging where I am yeah. in many moments throughout the day. And I think I, I turn to these books so often and I turn to literature and art because uh, it it's so important for me to yeah. experience those bits of wisdom Otherwise, I go nuts. And people sometimes say, oh, you, you must be incredibly calm as a person. I no, <laughs> no. I am neurotic to, well, yeah. But so that's why I need it. I need it so much. Otherwise, yeah. I, I really, um, 
I really make myself suffer. Yeah. So this is the possibility of liberation from that. And it's actually, uh, can I just say, it's mm. quite reassuring and a relief to hear someone who does give the impression of really being quite together <laughs> and on it say, no, that's just a facade. Um, well, it's, it's, yeah, it's not a facade. It's just, it's, it's a practice, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, uh, yeah. And I definitely have many, many moments on most days of being completely nuts and annoying and tense and frustrated and angry and all of the things that I have to practice the opposite. Yeah. Otherwise, I don't notice that I'm... I'm being like that and mm-hmm. how that impacts on other people. And I think, mm-hmm. well, that's, that's what life is all about, really, isn't it? Trying to, um, trying to discover yourself at the same time as how you're impacting those around you. Yeah. And the best that we can do is to have a positive impact on people um, in whatever way we can. That's possible. Yeah. 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 So that's um, Niroda, the possibility of liberation. And then we come to Mudita, joy. And this piece... <laughs> This is massively influenced by Ornette Coleman, who's, mm-hmm. who is, again, somebody I've talked about in terms of having that really joyful, abandoned expression. And yeah. it's so, it's just so great to listen to. So this, this piece of music was written only a couple of days before we recorded. And it wasn't originally planned to be on the album. And then okay. I brought it. And we just sound checked it and went, oh, yeah, that's really fun. Let's do that one. Yeah. So it's it's pretty um, spontaneous. It's pretty spontaneous. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but it has this this idea that we, we play uh, a bit of stuff out of time and then James does something and then we creep back into time ah. and then James does something else. Yeah. And then we all stop and then whoever is going to take a solo just plays whatever they like and then... It's complete kind of free, uh, free time, free changes, free mm-hmm. whatever, and then the others crash in at some point as Excellent. well. So it's, it's quite um, <laughs> visceral, yeah. let's say. And then we have Sutra Three, which is my uh, soprano. Um, oh no, sorry, that I was going to say. How did I get onto the soprano on a live gig from there? So I'm playing tenor <laughs> up until that point. Yes, the next piece of music is Daya Compassion. So again, from a, a yogic point of view, this is the idea that when we do acknowledge how much our wild minds just, you know, are like puppies tied to a post and go, oh, what's this? Oh, what's this? Yeah. Oh, what's yeah. that? You know, that's a great, that's a great description. <laughs> yeah, the, the untamed puppy um, where, you know, we, once you start really noticing yeah. what your mind's doing all the time, yeah. it can be quite uh, depressing because you think, oh, I'm just... What I'm wasting so much time and nothing is focused and nothing is meaningful and just this is just nonsense happening mm. so much mm-hmm. of the time. So the idea is to have compassion for yourself within that. So this is this piece of music is called Dial Compassion. But interestingly, um, my best friend's father died when I was writing this piece of music. Mm-hmm. So it was very influenced by her as well and my my feelings for her you know that this is somebody that I've known since I was 11 and been very involved in in their family yeah they were always very uh almost like a second family to me so so this was a person who I've known for many many years and I think that definitely impacted where this piece of music moved towards so originally I'd written it in time and it was a bit faster and it was a kind of nice tune and then it became this very spacious sort of melodic um 
we don't really know where we're going to go with yeah. it. And yeah. interestingly, so that leads into Sutra 3, which is my soprano solo. And at that point, a siren went past on the live gig, and it was really loud. Oh, no. And um, Alex Bonney, who, who mixed it, and then um, Peter Beckman, who mastered it, both worked their magic with it. And yeah. you can barely hear it, but you can hear it, and it's I really like there. it. Yeah. It's a little taste of London, <laughs> for those of you who haven't been to London recently. Uh, and then the next piece that we go into is Klesher Affliction. And this is, again, something, a much more sort of tense, slightly negative state of, well, let's, let's get rid of the word negative, shall we? And uh, it's, it's just about, you know, when you get quite frustrated and, and quite into some way of expressing yourself where you can't quite find the right words or yes. you can't quite yes. find the right notes or whatever it yes. is. So that's about that. And then the last piece, yeah, ten tracks. The last piece is a reprise, reprise of Ananda <laughs> Bliss. And that was the spontaneous end of the gig where we just said, oh, after the audience, the wonderful audience that were, that were at the Oxford that night. Yeah. Um, there was such a great audience. And asked for an encore. And I thought, oh, I'm not sure I, want, I don't want to play one of our old tunes. Yeah. I don't really want to play a standard. What should we do? And I thought, oh, yeah. So the, the reprise is... The opposite way around from the um, tune at the beginning, yeah. which is where we we state the melody and then go off into something or other. Uh, so at the end, we just start and then eventually get to find, the tune. Find your way back find, to the yeah, tune. Exactly. Yeah, so it's, it's a proper kind of full cycle. Mm. Very nice. Yeah. That's a very pleasingly um, symmetrical structure. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Isn't it? Yeah, it felt, it felt like that on the night, actually. Yeah. And then... Uh, amazingly the set that we did minus the track that I decided not to do seemed to be the right length for an album fantastic Mm. so to give you your full title Mm -hmm. Dr Josephine Davies Uh um, it's been a pleasure talking to you today thank Thank you you so much for making the time and we are going to close up now with two tracks from the new Satori album so this will be Sutra 1 followed by Dukkha Pervasive Dissatisfaction (laughs) 